Hey, Justin. Hello. Hey, DZ. Hey, Benedict. Hey. Good timing. Michael's going to love that. Beautiful. Yeah, Michael's the one who was like, ooh, big guest. I got I need to formally change my, my LinkedIn and Twitter title to big guest. Yeah. <laughs> Refuse I wonder, to answer any follow-up questions about it. I wonder if he already followed you or if he was like, I wonder what triggered it, like the big guest reaction in his mind. Or if he's like, I know button down or like what in his mind was like, Justin's a big guest. Maybe he was being sarcastic. <laughs> but I was going to say he's... it was just my inherent gravitas. Yeah. He can tell. You, you look at my Twitter feed and it's just pictures of corgis and you're like, that's someone who takes software seriously. Exactly. How's it going? Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We'll just do this now. Things are, are going pretty well. I just got back from the dog park. So if you hear a very tired corgi either snoring or barking in the background, that's him. Or it How could be me. Maybe I'm just making some very strange and atypical noises. You never know. You sometimes listen to the podcast. You know what I'm going to call this episode? I don't. Far Is talk. it Far Talk related? Oh, just gonna, we're just going to call this episode Far Talk, since you're the one person who requests Far Talk all the time. I think I have listened to every single episode of the pod. Uh, so this is a classic long-time listener, first-time caller situation. And I'm thrilled to carry the banner of the many, the voiceless, the Vartok devotees. Perfect. Uh, so why are you on the podcast? I guess, Benedict, do you want to set it up about your blog post? Yeah, so we were doing a bunch of thinking about how we were building features and talking about scoping things and... We landed on this framing of features versus foundations. And so I put together some notes on what that idea is and what it means in terms of a way to look at building something and kind of just put it out there to get feedback on and see what other people were thinking or how they think about how to build features and how to think about them. And we got some really good responses and Justin was one of them. And we thought that, hey, Justin's built a lot of product over the years. Well, to be fair, Justin's response was, I have a lot of thoughts about this. He didn't actually share anything useful yet. Right, right. Just knowing that he has thoughts and they are, they will be interesting to explore. Yeah. And generally we find that we think in similar ways to Justin when we talk to him. So here he is. Well, I'm here to talk about features and products. But honestly, the biggest thing I was curious about originally is like, I feel like whenever you have a position or a, a take so strong on something that you have to like commit it to writing a blog post and like starting a conversation about it. like there's some precipitating event, right? Like you, the reason you were thinking about this was because you were having a bunch of discussions about like, okay, we've got a bunch of stuff in the backlog and we've got all this low hanging fruit, what to pick first. So I'm, mm. I'm curious, like what was the situation that prompted you coming up with this dichotomy? I think it's not necessarily that I think it's the right dichotomy or it was putting words to a thing that we were talking around where it was more, okay, I think we're discussing something and I feel like we're talking around some ideas we're expressing thoughts about these things in this way. And like, let me just put my finger on that way. I don't know. We don't know if this is right or wrong, or is this kind of a faulty path that will actually cause more harm than good in the long term. And so it was more just opening it up in that sense. And so I think the precipitating event was we have a bunch of features that are somewhat connected in terms of the data that can drive them, the way that we build them, the way that we connect them together. And so the question came down to, 
is this really something that is worth building in that interconnected way? Are these features so core to the product and is this way of building around them really so core to the problem that we're solving that it is worth doing that? Or is it something that we need to not do that, keep that in mind, build each of them a little more separately, and then keep in mind that they may coalesce into a more overarching system over time. And I think that was the discussion that sort of precipitated that train of thought. Well, and if you think about many of the products we use, thinking about like Stripe or Notion or whatever, they're like primitives and Airtable, whatever it is, they're primitives that are core to how that product works and how you think about them and how you interact with them. And if those are built and they're thought through relatively well, whatever choices that they made for what to include in them and how to do that, is how you just interact with the product forever. And so we've been trying to decide how, what things are our primitives or our foundations that we need to really focus on. And how do we not like use as an excuse to build something that takes two or three months, but also how do we not try to do something two weeks that deserves longer and making sure that we are approaching those things correctly and actually correctly identifying the things that which deserve that. Because at times we think there are things that are valuable that take too long to build or they feel shimmed in. And yeah. part of that is because we don't feel like at times we have the foundation for them to like hook into. Yeah. Notion is an example that we think about a lot where Notion's entire product is built on this notion of blocks and you have a block and a block can be text. It can be an image. It can be a chart. And just having that primitive, everything flows from that for, you, know, you can link to a block and you can sync a block and you can do, you can have access controls on a block and you can do all of this stuff and you can move a block from one place to another. All that stuff comes from that foundation of a block. Including basically. its limitations, which is also what right. helps people understand what it is and how you use it. And us yeah. being early, we question at times, again, this is the larger, like, I think maybe anxiety is, well, what stage of figuring out what errors is, are we actually in? Are we a lot further in and we're like, okay, we're just chipping away at adding features or are we actually a lot earlier and we still need to figure out what those things are that people actually want to build upon and more work circling around those and getting them right is maybe the thing that like is worth doing. Right. And I think the, the reason I like the, the dichotomy, even if it is an oversimplification is because I, I think it maps pretty cleanly onto the two types of organizations and product orgs that I've, I've been with, which is like, there are folks and teams who bias towards building features at the expense of foundation. And there are folks and teams who bias towards building foundations, at the expense of features. And like both of those have strengths and drawbacks. I think you picked on notion. I think notion is a great example of a team that is so interested in just the foundational element, even if there are a lot of like feature things that it's like, oh, well, can't they just do this that are because right they tend to be a bit more marginal are not something that those kinds of products have historically prioritized. The writing experience, like DZ and I forever, yeah, I'm sure everyone forever is just like, why don't they just make a writing block? Just yep. make a writing block so that I can actually select text, move text, cut text. Like it's crap. Like right now writing a notion to a large degree because you're in this block format and they could just make a big block that is like a text block, but it's against that foundation. So that's why I suspect that they don't do it. Totally. And depending on the the stage you are at in a given feature or value prop or whatever, like the advantage of a feature, right, is it's both a short-term thing and it's self-validating in the sense of there's feature as in we're going to get this thing entirely polished and out and we're going to have a marketing push and it's going to be documented and it's like a core slate in the palette of wood that is the thing we're building versus there's a feature of we want to see if this is actually going to resonate and drive some sales and we're going to try and get an MVP out and 
have a dozen people in a private beta. And if it ends up not to be worth the effort of reifying into something a bit more concrete, we'll unship it and we'll leave that to be some sort of escape hatch that's handled by like Integramat or Zapier or something like that. One of the things that you mentioned in your essay, Benedict, that I'm curious about is like you, you did the Venkatesh route two by two grid of like advantages and disadvantages of both sides. I'm curious what you think of in terms of which disadvantages Arrows is more scared of right now. Like, are you scared of over-indexing on features and like accumulating a bunch of tech debt, even though you have a bunch of stuff that is ready to be uh, shovel ready, right? Like ready to be shipped and built. And even if the underlying abstractions aren't great, you're generating value. Or do you feel like you're a bit more scared of the foundation side of things of, oh, we've built out this beautiful latticework of abstractions and infrastructure but it turns out that we're not actually powering anything that is genuinely useful to our customers behind that infrastructure. I think we're genuinely afraid of both. It feels like we're experiencing both failure modes at the same time, and which I think is like the thing that makes it challenging. And in a sense, it's like, there's a desire just to pick one, I think, and just be like, okay, like we're going to fail in this way and we've chosen. And that's much easier than like constantly reevaluating everything of like, oh, do we do this or do we do that? And yeah. What do you think, DZ? I was going to say my sense is that the engineering team is generally more afraid of building stuff that then nobody uses. Though, yes, both we're afraid of both for sure. But I think like that we spend too much time on stuff that, yeah, that doesn't actually connect. Whereas I think I, my perspective, my mental approach to building things often and coming from like the design product side where it's all built up in my head for better or worse, like not actually in a good way but then we'll go coach something. I'm fine like doing the multiple jumps to hopefully these things connect and become something people use. But that ends up being like, that can't all exist in my head. And if, if we as a team do not have the clarity of what we are building towards, then it's hard to know if the things we're investing in actually will connect. That all totally makes sense. I think the metaphor of technical debt is, is pretty useful here, even if it's like kind of a lossy metaphor. Because like debt is debt, right? You can declare bankruptcy on an entire like, corpus of features if you say okay this is going to be really janky to deal with years from now four years from now but like being in the position to have to deal with that jankiness three or four years from now is a positive scenario not a negative scenario right like the the number of folks i've talked to who have even in like larger orgs right who have dealt with the penalty not being like oh we weren't able to hit product market fit or we weren't able to like really deliver on Salesforce integration, for example, but the way we weren't able to deal with it was beautiful and ornate. Like that still happens. It's very rare when someone says like, oh, we just built this out way too jankily and we had to remove it all together because it just wouldn't scale past 12 to 18 months. So when you think of forcing functions that are, are stopping you from like trying to iterate quicker and just lean into the, the feature side of the spectrum, what are some of the things that are like tripping you up or what are some of the things that you feel like could bite you in the ass a month from now or even a year from now? I think some of the things that have bitten us are, for example, how we lay things out in like the task UI, for example, we kind of designed it in this way where all of a sudden every single thing that we want to add becomes so painful to add because we need to like so much of the value that we see is like, okay, we're trying to make this simple for people to parse and understand and like do something. Mm -hmm. And then to try to add on to that, if we don't, we, we didn't have a system where that was like feasible to do. 
And so it was just like every single thing that we added was like, okay, now we have to from scratch, like rearrange this whole thing because like the value is being lost if we just slap it in to a certain degree. Yeah. Especially when your core competency is meant to be a bit of elegance and simplicity, right? Like if one of the things you're staking arrows on is like we're positioning ourselves as the most usable, the most ergonomic solution, that suddenly becomes not a thing where it's like, I always think of like Magento and some of the like CRM solutions from like the early 2010s as being the the number one example of you can tell every single page has its completely different wild west ethos of design and it's very haphazard and slapdash and like that is the thing they've leaned entirely into because those types of orgs are driven by like RFP and enterprise sales where it's like oh you want this two thing uh, these two things and you'll sign this contract yes we will add it in the next couple of weeks because we don't really care about the gestalt of the application and arrows is really mm-hmm. going in the opposite direction so that's less i think of an infrastructural bit and more like how do you not compromise the core experience of your product uh, is that like a, a fair read of it? It's less the technical friction of having all of these things and more like trying to safeguard the blessed path of the the current core workflows. I think that's part of it, but I would say there's also a piece of that of, well, if we were going to build that in a way, like what is, there's a design question in there that's really big of like, well, there is a way to build that stuff in a way that like keeps the core very ergonomic and easy to use. And so it takes a lot of time to figure that out. And then the other side of it is also, well, we want to have like things like integrations or analytics or metrics or data reports, whenever, like all these sort of things that are step two and in, in making arrows useful. If where people are using it, how do we actually expose or do things with that data? So then like the next mentioned, like, well, all that data from those systems needs to be based on something. Are we building those, you know, from scratch each time? Are we building it something that's something new? How far do we go on those? Are we building like a whole analytics infrastructure that, or are we just spitting out like five numbers that, you know, are about how your plan works? If we do automations, like we, X, Y, Z happens in your CRM, create a plan in arrows. How many options do we give you to filter on or trigger or send notifications or whatever, you know, it's that sort of stuff. And if we want to build five different automations, are we building each one of those manually as their own feature? Or are we building them on an automation system? And you start getting down all these rabbit holes where, you know, I, and I think the thing that I worry that we do at times is this is probably standard. A lot of startups, like, are we spending too much time thinking about these things or just, we should be building them and then seeing what happens as you build them, like build to like learn by building, or do we learn and then build? is maybe the approach. I will say this as the person who is always guilty of trying to build out like the general form solution to something like metrics or something like integrations and like have the thing that extends to 17 different use cases and not just the one core. So I'm like very hypocritical when I say this, but I I think the tricky part is like the one-way street versus the two-way street of if you have a like a hero use case in mind for integrations of like, like we just want this one specific automated event and we build a tracer bullet through that. And then maybe you have uh, tracer bullets two and three that are coming in a couple months or even a couple weeks. There's nothing stopping you from being able to say like, okay, we have these three examples of what we want to then extend to a generalized platform. And we haven't wasted any time yeah there's going to be some deletion but it's almost like the broader architectural version of like the whole don't ever DRY or refactor something and have it be in a central source of truth unless until you have like three or four versions of that thing it's just not worth it for a sample size of one or two 
I feel like that's definitely true of bigger feature work as well, as opposed to the opposite, which is you're still in a position right now. And I think if you ask anyone, they'll always say they're still in the position of their most valuable currency being their time and their energy. And the idea of spending so much of that upfront before you've really validated, okay, do we need this to extend to 17 different things is something that I've run into so many times. And like, I'm still terrible at it. I have the most fun when I'm building out the really interesting, like, a flexible, scalable solution and less they like, let's just duct tape some stuff together and make sure it's in front of a user. And I think one of the reasons I personally am still so bad at that is it lets me defer a lot of those harder conversations. Okay, given these three ways to invest my time, like what is the actual core one that's going to bring in the most value or bring in the most leads or whatever, because I can instead distract myself with the more interesting architectural and data design questions, right? Like I'm an engineer at heart. I'm not really a marketer or a product person at heart. I want to spend my time doing fun architectural things. And so I will always bias towards the things that subconsciously let me do more of that. Absolutely. What do you think, Benedict? Oh yeah, I agree. I think it's tough because it's like, there's always like these kind of blurry lines where it's like, oh, like we want to bring in integration data, but we know we want to show that like in a table and we want know that like that we want to be able to show that from a couple different sources. And yep. it's like, okay that points towards some kind of shared system where it's like, okay, we can, it is not, the data is not solely associated with like coming from a specific place. And so you don't even get to solving the problem to a certain degree, unless you take that step to like, oh, but we can actually show it in the table. Because this is the other problem that we run into where it's like, okay, we, or this is like the, the challenging other mode is like, you can then fall into the trap of like taping together a feature, but then it doesn't actually it isn't then recontextualized or like, as soon as you begin thinking about like, how can I take this together? It stops being contextualized in what is the user trying to do? And then you tape together this thing and it's like, okay, I like cut it down. The scope is cut down. I got it in. It's a feature. It's there. And then you pull back and you're like, oh, in the process of going from like, okay, here's like this thing that I want to test to like, here's this thing that I can implement quickly. The like majority use case for the user has dissolved a little bit, or it's got, it's gotten lost a little bit in the in that process. Subtraction by addition. Yeah. What do you mean? Just in the sense of, I feel like for anything, you have a core surface area for any product. Yeah. Any addition to that core surface area, even if it is like a duct tapey thing and it's not a big investment in terms of energy time spent, because like you said, you've cut down the scope. But by adding to that surface, even if it is perfectly contextualized within the rest of the app, you are subtracting from every other part of the surface area. Like, uh, Notion is a good example of the the powers and drawbacks of this in a lot of ways to go back a bit of like uh, Notion surface area in terms of what you can do with a given block is multiplicative, but the, the core number of things you can do within a given block is relatively small. And they've been very deliberate of saying like, okay, our abstraction size is going to be really, really, really tiny. So you can plug a bunch of these things into one another, but you can't necessarily like, we're not going to be adding a bunch of features uh, to everything so quickly. Each one is going to be very uh, well thought out because it has to interact with the universe of other features and other interactions that it already has. But I think I'm curious because you, you mentioned talking about cutting scope, both from the technical side and the experiential side. Like, I think it is not necessarily an all or nothing thing, right? You can try and faint towards like, oh, this is playing into our broader design system. It's not just this one-off integration. We have a integrations table that happens to be like pretty hard coded just to have this one row and so on and so forth. Have you been able to sort of like thread that line in terms of we don't want to duct tape 
the experience so much as we want to duct tape some of the plumbing on our side and occlude that from the, the user as much as possible. Though, of course, that's all, always easier said than done. I would say we have not really. Like with integrations, we built pretty deeply, but it was also one mm -hmm. of those things where we knew we wanted to have multiple. How do we support? We're building Salesforce yeah. first, which was the most complicated and how it worked, but also we needed to use it to bring data into arrows. Well, we had to think about how we're going to bring data into arrows and in what ways people might want to use it to do multiple things. There was no easy way. If the ultimate outcome is, well, we want to allow you to automate, like creating a plan or creating a customer from Salesforce data or CRM data, you could do that one-to-one. -one. But as soon as you do that, you immediately want to do other things with that data inside arrows. So we had to build it in a more generalizable way. And as soon as we start doing that, and then you want that to work relatively quickly. It's hard to like, we've found it difficult, I think, duct tape the back end of stuff. And then as soon as we allow you to have that sort of flexibility of what the integration looks like, then the UI has to support the different ways to set it up. And so then the UI ends up being pretty nice. And it's like all those things, you look at them and it's very hard to imagine pulling any of it out. And I think that's one of those features where we feel very good about how it went and we feel pretty proud about the work. But it in itself does not expose that much of an output. We still have to go build automations and other things that now use that data. So then it's like, oh shit, do we can't do what we did with integrations for every feature now, can we? Where it takes two plus months, three months to like plan it, build it and polish it. But at the same time, that's where the blog post came from. Do we need to do that with the, is our integrations and data from other systems about your customers a core thing to arrows? So we just have to spend the time to do that. And I think yeah. you, you touched on the most important part of that with like your first sentence, which is you knew going in that in the fullness of time, you would want more integrations. It wasn't just a one-to-one -one thing. It was, okay, we know we're going to have like four or five things we need to, to provide. Mm -hmm. I think the argument for building foundations first is incredibly strong when you have that level of conviction of like, we're, we are 99% sure that in the fullness of 24 months or 18 months, we're going to want not just the one, but the entire laundry list. I think the, the thing to make sure to avoid is to falling in the trap where you think you have that conviction, but you haven't really tested it, right? Of like, I'm trying to think of a hackneyed example, maybe like analytics of like showing uh, burn down charts of tasks and customer activations and stuff. And it's like, oh, you can imagine that really well, but how confident are you truly that you're going to need that entire universe of work versus like still firing a couple of those tracer bullets and making sure like, okay, yes, this is the core nugget of it is serving our users well, even if it's not completely polished and completely integrated with everything else. Yeah, almost in that way. Like if I was doing this in real time, but like I would say like metrics and a few analytics, just go build those quickly, you quote unquote quickly, because it's like, well, we can make the ability to slice and dice very limited. If at all, we can pull out a few numbers, et cetera, and provide value there in the course of a few weeks. Whereas with automations, we feel more strongly or at least I do feel more strongly that the things that people want to automate and orchestrate inside arrows with data from integrations or that is happening inside arrows becomes more of an obvious thing. But I think there's, there's probably, I could see the team members being some people on team being like, I don't know. Yeah. I think the other thing that's challenging is like, there's also a line somewhere where things are genuinely like not useful, if not fully done to a degree where they become useful. And I think figuring out where that line is, is like the kind of biggest challenge to a certain degree. What sort of heuristic do you use in terms of figuring out like, 
oh, this is an escape hatch feature that doesn't need to be fully integrated. And it can just be like a, all right, we'll pipe out to some webhook somewhere. And that's the extent of it versus like, oh, we really need to deeply enmesh this in the rest of the product. I think that's the thing that we're trying to get more solidified. And mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that has been the work that we've been trying to do in the last week or two in terms of trying to figure out what is it all centered around and what is the thing that you're measuring against when deciding where it falls on that spectrum. And we don't have a solidified answer yet, but we have some notions of maybe it's this, maybe it's that this feels directionally correct. This lines up with existing customers, all of that stuff. And I think that's kind of the thing that will be the thing that kind of develops and hopefully becomes like the touchstone for making that decision. That makes sense. Are, are you too familiar with like the whole, what does it call it? The Eisenhower matrix, like the important access and the urgency axis. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen it in a while, but yeah, I, we don't pull it into any discussions. I feel like it's, I think any sort of like true diagram can be a little bit hackneyed when you're doing like backlog rooming or quarter to quarter prioritization. But I actually think that's a, a relatively useful one in terms of where your level of conviction and urgency is around certain things. Like the things that you know are, hey, we don't need to launch this in the next three months. Like there's no specific customer or cohort of customers banding down the hatches that we think are going to churn without this. But it is something in the fullness of time we want to do really hits that important but not urgent thing where you can take the time, have a really strong foundation, understand how it meshes into the rest. I think as you shift more and more to the urgent side, of the matrix, you have to start making the, the tough calls of like, okay, in a product like arrows, where the, the drawbacks for shipping something duct tapey is, is deleterious to the rest of the experience. Like how important is this really, regardless of the urgency? And if it's not that important, maybe it's something that you say, okay, we can let the temporality of this be downplayed a little bit. We don't need to have an answer for this month, but, and this is a feel like I'm, I'm drowning in cliches in this chat. Like it's like a eating your vegetables thing of, I think the happiest teams and the most productive teams get to do a blend of both the short-term feature work and the long-term foundational work. I know as an engineer, like I like to do that most as well, because it's almost like hitting different parts of my brain to a certain extent of like often if I'm blocked on working on an interesting design or trying to understand how I want a given abstraction to work, it can be really satisfying to go just like bang out a relatively low level feature, right? And you say, okay, I know how this thing is going to work. It's a tendril. It's not a, a part of the core of the thing, but I can trace a path to see how it gets done. And that's useful in and of itself, even if it's not tying into a larger multi-engineer month effort. Yeah. I think <laughs> like we definitely have the same desire and like, we noticed that too, in terms of like what people are working on and how they're feeling about it, where it's like people want both the uh, short feedback loop and satisfaction of finishing something and the sort of longer term satisfaction of solving a more complicated problem, uh, a little more in depth because it deserves it or has earned it. Yeah. So yeah. building things in a way that tests if they're, or like testing to figure out what things earn or have earned it or deserve it, yeah. deserve it is probably like, if keep asking why and get to that. It's like, well, how do you know? It's like, we have to probably do a better job with like existing customer research and, and validating the things that 
we know up front really need to be done to a certain degree, a certain degree of confidence. And without knowing that up front, it's just guesswork of like, well, what feels better to the individuals and what feels better to the individuals building it, it wavers, I think, week to week, depending on how much confidence there is in the work being worth it. And I think that's like, that's always going to be true to a certain extent. Like there's never going to be one clear answer. I think that the ratio of like, quote unquote, feature to foundation work is going to shift and ebb and flow naturally, depending both on like motivations, what strikes you as most important. And that's why having, I don't know what sort of like, uh, and I'd be curious to hear what kind of planning process y'all do in terms of like once a month or once a quarter, or even some random cadence to basically check in on the full universe of work and say, okay, we want to spend time on this and this, but like the ratio of feature and foundation stuff is going to shift because everything else shifts, right? Like I think the worst possible scenario to fall into is say like, okay, we need to have this 30, 70 ratio. And that's how we're always investing in our stuff even as everything else changes, because all that's going to do is set yourself up for like unnecessary rigidity. And I think the advantage that you two have shown so much, just like listening to the pod and watching arrows is a institutional agility, like the ability to run things quickly, but also slow yourselves down and take the time when you know that it's really important. And so I think a level of it, even if this is an unsatisfying answer is like, following through on your convictions and saying like, okay, we know this thing is going to be really delayed in terms of gratification, but we think that's the right thing to do here. And it doesn't matter what framework we're abiding by. Like you two are very good at products. You have a hunch that hunch is generally going to be correct. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's something to that. Cause I think we would never likely approach things with like a percentage balance between what is foundation or feature. We kind of know we have a set amount of time to do stuff right. in. It's more of like, well, are we willing to allow this thing we need to build or we want, we know is important. Are we willing to take the investment and ride the hunch of doing that for two months? Or do we need to build the two week version of it? But will that fully and confidently and completely solve the problem for anybody? Or does it deserve and need the bigger one? And I think that's where we find ourselves. And, and to your point and what Benedict mentioned earlier, when you build things, you can tell when something is built fully and completely and with confidence and, and customers can tell too, and they will invest in it or not. And other times they're okay if something's duct tape because it's like, well, it only deserves the duct tape and they don't really expect more. And I think that, you know, it all comes down to like, what is their expectation or desire there? I mean, the whole reason we went from self-funded and two people to raising money was that people didn't want this product to be bootstrapped and duct taped by two people. You know, we realized that most of them didn't want to use Zapier for most of the function. That's why I went and started building integrations because they didn't really want to use Zapier for hooking up to their CRM because they expected it to be more thoroughly built out, stuff like that. So I think it, we're just trying to test like how fully do they expect this to be like a confidently completely built out product. But then what are the, while also balancing, not adding so much surface area that we can't do anything super well. And one of the advantages of you taking money right is you have a longer runway now. You don't have to make a lot of those tough choices in terms of saying like, okay, we need to ship something and we need to validate every single week because like we have a certain event horizon. You now have the luxury of taking a bit more time and investing a bit more in those foundational things, right? Yes. While also like trying to make sure we are paying attention to something that is improving because there's a, you know, very easy way of like, there's a history of startups is littered with like companies that spent two, three years of runway, just building something that was like a nice, fully confident version of itself that nobody really gave a shit about. What was the, it was like the Berkeley 
money sharing one, like Ripple or something. Crinkle, I think. Crinkle. Crinkle. With no E, right? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> or yeah. Clinkle, something like that. It was one of those. I don't know. Clinkle. I think it was Clinkle, yeah. It raised like 20 million bucks. Some crazy amount of money and like, yeah, there's countless of those, but even the two to $4 million ones like us that are like, well, what is this actually? We're adding more customers and we're, you know, people are generally pretty happy, but are they using it fully? Are they getting the true value that they expected? How do we test that? How do we, it, it's very different and it's maybe not as obvious where we're at right now in the terms of like where Stripe, for example, is like, well, are people running more payments through us? Are they integrating faster? And maybe there is, there should probably be a similar sort of obviousness to arrows and I think us figuring out what that thing is that people are just leaning into so much and what needs to happen to get to that point where people are like, yes, this is finally what I've been looking for is like the work we've been trying to do. And we have the added like both benefit and complication of being bootstrapped before and launching and getting real customers before we spent the time to really do that. So we're doing that with real customers in market. So that's where I think the, if we ever have a lack of confidence around ourselves, it's like that balance of not fully being in like, oh, we need to go truly dive in deep and build this, what we believe the market should have. It's like balancing it with like having gone to market already and had real customers and whatnot. And I think you two are like, you just mentioned it, but like this superpower of having spent time bootstrapping and also having that customer base and having that built-in feedback loop and that validation loop is so light years ahead of, I think, a lot of other companies and organizations in your position. Like you have that ability to validate things quickly, not necessarily have to bunker down for two, three years and then emerge from the seller with like, ah, here's this thing. Is this good? Like you get to validate things with the folks who are using your product and testing your product so quickly. And like, that is a luxury that lots and lots of people and lots of organizations of all sizes don't necessarily have. And Leaning into that feels like the strongest possible thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's something interesting there too. We've been, we have demos and sales demos and people take, they don't convert as quickly after the demo. Like we, we have a pretty decent conversion, but they don't convert right away. So we've been talking, which we didn't mention this, but last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, whenever that was hiring a marketing person. Was that last week? Holy cap. Well, we hired somebody. So we hired a marketing person very quickly and he starts Monday next week, which is exciting. But part of what he's looking at doing is one, he's very customer research focused, but also can we, instead of like only getting people to book a demo when they're fully ready and primed and like ready to buy, not like, oh, we're going to buy in a few weeks, like where you're ready to buy right now and you know what you're getting into and having other people go book consultations or other calls. So they'll still get a call with us. So we'll still talk to them, but it'll be less of a buying conversation. So then that gives us more opportunities to maintain that customer research or market research conversation for people who are not yet customers. And then we've been talking a lot about how do we do a better job of doing research with customers, like paid actual customers. And that one's a lot more easy because of course, like they just bought, we could work with them. But it's the other ones where it's like, well, we're trying to get new customers. We're trying to get to convert demos. And it's hard to do that customer research portion of like a new product you're trying to build in that sales conversation. Right. Trying to commingle the both is... It's a little tricky. Yeah. Buy this right now. In two months, we have this thing coming. Which one do you want? And it's like, obviously the two thing in two months. Yeah. Do you two do any sort of like quantitative usage tracking in terms of folks who are paid users already? Like some of the post funnel work in terms of understanding how folks interact with like a given matrix of features. Like, do you have a good sense of where things correlate? 
That's something that we're working on trying to improve on. We had a conversation earlier today where we talked a lot about that. And yeah, so it was, it's definitely, I think, a thing that we are not doing as well as we should. And I think that's something where we know that we can improve and we're looking to improve in the short term. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's one of the things I've always struggled with is like trying to balance some level of engineering intuition of like, this is what my, what a given customer base or a given user base really wants versus this is what my metric stack is saying. I think the latter tends to be correct more than the former, but like the, the best is having both of like, having a strong sense of, okay, we are building this thing and it's going to be investment, but we are just inherently confident. Like we understand this space well enough that we know this many people are going to use it and that's going to drive this much expansion revenue and so on and so forth. So you can actually quantify certain investments and then also having some level of usage to back that up. And I think trying to make those bets, I know you two have talked a lot about the idea of making bets with certain investments. And I think that is really powerful as a metaphor to the extent that like it lets you actually call your shots and then evaluate how you did less in terms of like story points or whatever weird agile thing, but more like, Hey, we're building this thing. Cause we think 40% of our current user base is going to use it. And that's going to lead to this much expansion revenue down the line. Just like writing that down somewhere and then periodically checking based on what you've invested in as a result of those takes, like helps you create your own feedback loop. What have we been right about, uh, organizationally? What have we been wrong about? Um, I think people always talk about that in terms of like engineering costs. I think the engineering benefits is the better example, especially when you're early on of just like understanding, okay, where are, where is our spider sense like really good and where can we improve it a little bit? I know one of the things that I'm always terrible is like the top of funnel stuff. I have a awful intuition for like how people come into and activate into a product. Like it's just something I'm really bad at, but once people are like enmeshed and they're already activated, that's where I'm a little stronger. Absolutely. That's another topic we started getting into today related to the better metrics is like also how do we expose that and, and check like what are the assumptions that we actually have that are flawed. And like even today, we've already uncovered probably one or two that we are more surprising than we realized. And now we're, you know, now trying to figure out what to do with those. Like, okay, cool. Now, if that's true, what should this be? What decisions do we need to do? How do we orient ourselves and the team and the organization towards changing those? It's like half science, half art. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's challenging because it's like, yeah, we do have this existing customer base, but figuring out how to work with that customer base well and appropriately and in the best way is challenging where it's like, right, like, okay, here's this customer and they're like super active. Like, is it the ideal customer? Like sort of like maybe 80%, like how do we measure this against that? Like, okay, they probably really want this feature, but like, is that the right example and all of that stuff? And so it's like, okay, like here's this customer, they seem great, but like, are there a ton out there? Probably all of that, like trying to, despite having that data, you still need to massage it or figure out a way to digest it in a way that lets you do something with it. And I think that's the other piece of the kind of work that we have to do. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, I think you have to get going, don't you? I do. This was so fun. Thank you for letting me rant and rave about various product things. You now have uh, a terrible insight into my mind when I look through like a 200 GitHub issue long backlog and I'm like, how do I think about all these 75,000 different <laughs> directions to go in? Yeah, exactly. The funny thing with these sort of discussions is that it's very helpful, but at the same time leads to no new answers. We have to like now go back and still think about it and decide and spend a lot of time working through what is it that we're actually going to do and how are we going to orient ourselves. And I think even if like asking the questions is not inherently constructive, 
it's it's like the are you too familiar with fizzbuzz i feel like this is the like product development version of fizzbuzz which is there's a huge number of organizations and teams and folks who are all well-intentioned but are like not asking these questions and just like working through tasks as if they're in a linked list like i think the fact that you're asking these questions and thinking about it in this sense is like so obviously proof of how deeply you're thinking about this relative to a lot of your competitors and a lot of the folks in the broader landscape, which is always good. Even if like the outcome of every discussion is it, oh yes, well now we're going to work on this and then this, and we've solved that. It's still really useful. I feel like the work about the work gets a bad rap at this point. Cause it's like, yeah, you're not actually like building the thing, but you're still having the really important discussions and you're not just going to like do the, the feature spaghetti that so many organizations fall into the death knell of. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, I think, yeah, I appreciate that. But also I sometimes wish that we were just stupidly charging ahead and either getting lucky or not. And that being that. Or we could do that too. In some ways. Yeah. <laughs> but new, new title. Are you familiar with the concept of a cheat day? Say that again? Are you familiar with the concept of a cheat day? No. So like cheat day in nutrition stuff? Yeah, is yeah. Like one day where you're just going to eat oh, whatever you want. Oh, cheat day. Yeah, cheat yeah, day. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I really like to... I thought it was like a Japanese folks. word or something. And I was like, what? <laughs> uh, yes, the, the ancient term for just eating like shit for an entire day. No, I think it's actually a useful lens to think about development stuff too, which is it doesn't have to be like 20% of your time or whatever, but like dedicate some time to disregard any sort of planning process and say, we're going to work on whatever we want to work on as long as it's tangentially relevant to what we think is right. Like... If you're going to build up some level of rigidity and some level of infrastructure around how you approach things like product planning and development, like also give your the give yourself the escape hatch to just run away from it and see what that arises. It's like a lighter weight version of doing a little internal hackathon or whatever. There's a lot of really useful stuff that come it can come out of that. Like you said, even if there isn't a strictness of like, okay, we know exactly what's going to happen as a result of this. A lot of the things that can be revealed of just like someone taking five hours and burrowing down and seeing what happens as a result can be really surprising. Absolutely. That's a really good idea, actually, related to some stuff yeah. we were talking about earlier. Definitely. Well, cool, Justin. Go to your meeting. Cool. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks so much, Justin. Always great to talk.